Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the main course. I'm your host, Patrick Martins. We're broadcasting out of Roberta's Restaurant, 261 Moore Street. Big news, Phil Jackson signs with the Knicks. It's it's official, I think. Uh, I mean, it is by now. Um, So I think that's big. I mean, I have now no doubt about it. And that's fan. I have season tickets. I split with some of the guys here at the restaurant. And uh, it is just awesome to be in the fifth row. I love the Nets. They've done amazing. But... Who can deny, even as a Nets fan, that Phil Jackson coming to the Knicks is not super exciting? Um, I'm very, very excited. I mean, they should be a championship contender a couple of years, <laughs> 10, I think. 15 10, 10, 15 years, 15 years, years yeah, 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 the way they've been going. Yeah. Last Phil time Jackson they, will be 80. The last time they won, he was a coach. I mean, he was a player. Mm-hmm. What was it 73? 73, yeah, I believe. They won two in a row, I think. 71, 72, 72, 73, something like that. But uh, Phil Jackson, wow, that is impressive. I want to see him on the bench. Just, I think, you know, that's how you leave your premature on an organization. I know Larry and, and these guys, Larry Bird, they, they can be upstairs and, you know, still affect the team. But something about Phil on the court, you know, Zen mastering it all over the place. Well, um, the voice you've been hearing is uh, Chef de Cuisine of Craft Restaurant, Ed Crochet. Welcome. Hi, thanks. We also have uh, Edward Trick Brown in, who's just sitting in. We'll ask him a couple of questions later. He's a veg cook there. Um, before we start, uh, you know, big news the Heritage Radio Network crew, uh, the, you know, the team at the office. Uh, came out with this really impressive uh, press release, and you know they're going to be really focusing on these three issues on the news part of the site. And um, you know, I didn't know this in 2013. Chicken surpassed beef as the most common, commonly consumed protein in America, and uh, you know they're most they're the breed most impacted by the factory farm system. So, um, you know, very interesting. I mean, there can be uh, dozens and dozens of stories throughout the year about this single issue, uh, you know, hopefully improving the lives of broiler chickens around the country. And then the second thought, uh, second theme that uh, Aaron and the crew picked, uh, I also did not know this, from field to fork, over 40% of food produced for consumption in the U.S. is wasted at some point along the production chain. Wow, that's a lot. And it connects to global warming and all that. So if you see an FW on any of the news shows at the top of the homepage, uh, that'll delineate food waste. A lot of interesting people are going to come on. And uh, actually, I was surprised. I've heard that since this press release came out, the uh, of the three topics, the one that's getting the most play is this future of food leadership 
FFL, which sounds terrible if you just say it, full. But uh, Future Food Leadership sounds a lot better. And uh, it is seeking revolutionaries in the food world. And uh, people on our 35 shows and people around the country have already started to nominate people uh, for these profiles. A hundred of the world's most promising young people working in the food world of drink and agriculture. So, Ed, you're too old. Trig, you could still do it. You could still win. <laughs> but uh, you're like me, Ed. How old are you, Ed? Uh, 33. 33. Well, let's. Well, that's very young. Um, I'm sixty. <laughs> I look older. I'm sixty-two. Um, <laughs> Lies. But uh, we do. Uh, we'll just jump into the show. I mean, normally we cut to a break, but let's just get right into it. Um, I really enjoyed reading your bio, Ed, um, and you started. I mean, currently you're the chef de cuisine of Craft Restaurant, which yep. is, of course, a restaurant where. You collaborate with Tom Calicchio, who people see on his famous show. Uh, Top Chef. Top Chef, of yeah. course. And um, But, you know, let's fast forward or go all the way, rewind, I should say, all the way to the beginning. You were the son of a naval officer. Yep. And I wanted to see if any way traveling around or him traveling around influenced your early views on food. Uh, you know, to be honest, I was, uh, so my dad was a submarine commander, uh -huh. which is like the coolest thing ever. You know, it's much, much cooler than being a chef. Um, He'd be gone for months at a time? Yeah, he would be. He would be, uh, I mean, it was a lot, my mom, my brother and I, when I was growing up, he would be, uh, he would be gone for up to six months at a time. Hmm. Um, so I grew up in Connecticut, um, first eight years, moved to Virginia for a couple of years, moved out to Hawaii for uh, middle school and first year of high school. And then I w went to Italy after that for high school. And then hmm. we settled in a small rural town in Pennsylvania for my senior year of high school. Uh, a little bit of a letdown on that one after Italy and Hawaii. but uh, And then I went off to college. I went to Florida State for a year. Uh, that didn't work out as well as I had hoped. Uh, and then went to Northern Virginia Community College for a year and then ended up at the University of Maryland. Um, while I was in school, my uh, parents lived in London. So hmm. it offered me the chance to go over there and check out England for a while. Um, Why but, does he have to move so much? I mean, couldn't they just, he's going in the submarine anyway. Couldn't he fly to where the submarine's going? But they, I know they move. But yeah, it's the, it's the nature of like military employment. You, you spend three years here, you spend two years there. Some people are lucky enough to spend a little bit longer of a period of time. Submariners typically move around every few years. So you'll have like, it's like uh, a sous chef job. You know, you take a sous chef job for mm -hmm. two years and then you move on to either a bigger position or a different restaurant or same thing. My dad was an engineer on a submarine in one location. Then he was the executive officer in another. And then he was a captain of a boat out in Hawaii. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I moved all over the place. It was crazy. Uh, looking back on it, it's, uh, I think it was harder growing up like that. You know, like, you know, it's great to go to Rome and go to Florence and hang out in Germany for an afternoon. But, like, you know, as a 16, 17-year-old kid, I wanted to just hang out with my friends and, like, mm -hmm you know, graduate with all of them and be on the same baseball team for three or four years in a row and, you know, not have to move around as much. Uh, retrospectively, it's like, I mean, it's awesome. You know, I've, I've been to Kauai. I've mm -hmm. been to, you know, uh, all, all over Europe. Like, you know, I've, I've seen, like, Hadrian's Wall between Scotland and mm -hmm. England and, like, Edinburgh Castle. Like, this is... This is stuff that people dream of that I got the opportunity to do when I was very young. I imagine you're a good self-starter with that because you have to kind of fast forward into the culture that you're in. And when I was reading the way you just came to New York and you picked up a Zagat and you applied to all these restaurants and yeah. then you trailed at craft. I mean, self-starting, getting to a new place or in a new field and just getting going. Yeah, and... sure. I mean, like, look, I, I, I don't think that – I think like anybody else, I don't like change all that much. Um but it's like, you know, when you get to a point where you have to do something, yeah, you got to get after it. So um, 
it's actually weird though. Like my uh, my outlook on food, I I never ate anything when I was a kid. It was pasta with tomato sauce, hamburger. I didn't even like ketchup. Didn't like mustard. I thought onions were gross. It was the only comfort you had. You're like, I moved my whole life, but that hamburger, it'll always uh, be. Yeah, there for I me. guess something like that. I just for whatever reason, I didn't really enjoy food all that much when I grew mm-hmm. up. Interesting. And then, uh, but you did taste it. I mean, you were around it. It was everywhere. Oh yeah, it was it was all over the place. Like yeah. I lived like Hawaii, Italy. They have great food cultures. You know, mm-hmm. they're very different obviously but you didn't but learn about the local fish or anything no i just much. i was very sheltered in what i wanted to eat um it, weirdly the way that i ended up going into cooking was when i was at maryland um i lived on campus for a little while and you know you live on campus you go to the the cafeteria you go to like the you know now they all have like fast food restaurants all over their food mm-hmm. courts like taco bell and pizza hut and you know you just eat that slop all day long mm-hmm. um and then you you know your junior senior year whatever you move off campus a lot of times and I had to learn how to cook. You know, I didn't have the the food hall like a five minute walk away anymore. So, I uh, my family. Yeah, you used Jamie Oliver as an inspiration yeah, yeah. at that point. So, so my family was in London at the time, and I would go over there, and like Jamie Oliver was food star A number one over there. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. every every network had a commercial about it. Like if the local supermarket he like pushed a product, like truffle butter would be gone for a month. Mm-hmm. Like truffle butter, all of a sudden you can't get it because Jamie Oliver has a thirty second spot on BBC mm-hmm. saying, "Hey." It's awesome. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I just I started cooking through his cookbooks. And then, what was good about him? Just freshness or unusual ingredients? I mean, uh, was he a local guy? Was he an import the best from wherever it is guy? I mean, what was his mission? Um, I mean, uh, I'm not sure. I, he just he always seemed very approachable. Like mm-hmm. he always seemed like at the end of his show, he was always cooking for seven people. You know, he was always having a dinner party. Like it always seemed like food was a conduit to hang out with people. It's the same reason, like, I mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, around the same period of time, Mario Batali had a show on uh, the Food Network that was, like, him, and he always had three guests sitting there that he would yes. he would cook for. It's like, that's that's what this cooking thing's about. You know, it's like getting mm-hmm. people together. It's, it's But he had a, a mission a little bit. I know he was going, busting in the public schools and being like, look at the shit that your kids yeah, are eating. Yeah, and, and that was a little very bit... very progressive. Yeah, I, you know, and he has done that, and he has a, he has a couple restaurants in, in London that are only... Uh, I think they exclusively employ people from underprivileged backgrounds. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he now has a little bit of like a, a zeal for uh, his idealism. Uh, I think at the time when I was growing up and like, you know, learning how to cook, it was much more of a, uh, hey, here's this dude who like seems like a nice guy who's cooking food. And it was all the food was very approachable. It was all very mm-hmm. simple. But like it, you know, it just allowed you to be exposed to different ingredients and, you know. Does he have an equivalent here in America with that mission side of him? Because Tom is obviously a a person who does put things into the spotlight, but in a different way. Tom's a very big advocate for um, hunger issues in the U.S. Um, With his wife, right, who made a documentary. Yeah, Lori Lori Silverbush made a a documentary. I think she actually produced the documentary. Um, Mm -hmm. It's uh, No Place at the Table, I believe it's called. Um, I mean, there's a a gigantic hunger problem in the United States that a lot of people aren't aware of, you know, like Mm -hmm. especially... You know, I mean, up up in New York, like, you see, like, a few homeless people and everything, and it's sad, but, like, you know, we feel like, especially, like, working at an opulent restaurant and, like, you know, people with all this money coming in, like, Manhattan's, you know, the the amount of money on the island's crazy. And then you look out in rural America, and there mm-hmm. are a lot of people that go home hungry every night that, yeah. you know, like, I think uh, I was reading something in the news the other day that, like, a large percentage of military families are rely on WIC checks, like mm-hmm. women's infant and children checks to... Mm-hmm you know, feed their kids. It's, it's crazy. Pretty so, crazy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, um, then you ended up going to school. I mean, you studied history, government and politics, and then you went to L'Académie de Cuisine. Was that, mm-hmm. where is that? Uh, it's outside of DC. Okay. Uh, it's in Gaithersburg, Maryland. 
So is it worth it going to school or do you, do you learn more along your career uh, by working in kitchens? Um, I think that you certainly learn in culinary school. Um, you learn techniques. You learn um, how to just function in a kitchen environment. Um, you're sort of force fed all that stuff when you have a job, though. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're not going to learn a, you know, like if you come work at Kraft, you know, you're going to start in the salad station and you're just going to be, that's what you're going to do every day and yeah. you're going to get great at it. You get very individualized instruction on specific things. Culinary school is sort of like, it's like Disneyland. You know what I mean? Like, here, let's cook everything. It's going to mm -hmm. be amazing. You know, like you go to, you know, Indian food land and you can go to like soup land and mm -hmm. salad world, whatever it is. I um, mean, it's a, it's a great way to be exposed to all this stuff and to be like, actually hold a, a whole lamb mm -hmm. or to, you know, roast a ribeye. You know, it's, it's great. Um, in the end, is it necessary? Is it worth the money? I, I mean, my, my program was six months long. Uh, and then, you know, we did a six month internship. I, I think that was perfect for me. Like I was like 26 years old at the time. So I didn't, I didn't have time to go to CIA for two or four years. Mm -hmm. It wasn't an option for me. So I never even looked into that as a possible avenue. Uh, I mean, for me, it was worth it for someone that goes to CIA for four years and drops however, like, what, a hundred grand now? I don't even yeah. know what it costs. It's crazy. I, I guess I don't uh, know. for me, I didn't go to cooking school, but, um, you know, it's a collaboration, the people you meet, the people mm -hmm. in your class, like, that's interesting. But you can basically do without it after yeah. 12th grade. I mean, life is a lot more interesting. I wonder if more people are going to go to college or fewer people go to college. Something tells me the trend is fewer. Uh, I, I would guess so, you but I don't know. You just go start something in Arkansas, yeah. Oklahoma, and now all of a sudden there are these little bubbling energies in all those yeah, cities sure. you know well it also like it used to be that i don't know like growing up like my my parents were always you know you go to college that's mm -hmm. what you do yeah. either when you're 18 years old you're going to get a job and you're going to move out or you're going to go to college and we'll pay for it so it just it never seemed like an option for me um but now like you know you get out of college and you don't necessarily have a job mm -hmm. it's not a here's a college degree then yeah. you go get a, a job in your field it's doesn't mean what it used to. No, no, not at all. Certain degrees do. You know, you get an electrical engineering degree. There's a very obvious direction for you to go yeah. in. I had a history and political science degree. Like, what was I going to do? You'd be you know surprised I mean? you're even working in craft right now. Oh, yeah. Just, no, the the fact that I'm even employable is ridiculous. <laughs> so, so um, now your first day at Persimmon, that was your first restaurant. So, mm -hmm. I mean, did you have any – what's your first day I was going to ask? But, I mean, I guess I'm looking for funny stories, things you learned that the school didn't teach you, horror stories. I mean, uh, was that a good first – I mean, interaction? it was, Persimmon was great. Um, it was a little bistro right outside of, outside of DC, um, French American bistro. Uh, the guy that runs it, Damien was, a he was, he was awesome. He's a great guy. Um, he was basically a line cook for a long time and was having a kid and had saved up some money. And like with 75 grand, he and his wife opened a restaurant that was open for mm -hmm. like, I think 15 years before they closed it down recently. Um, but I'd actually, I actually, I had worked in a restaurant before that. I was a, a bartender and a server at Bennigan's. Oh, wow. For like, I think six, seven years, something like that. It was crazy. Like, mm. they, that was basically, that was my money in college. That was my, wow. that was what I did for the first couple of years out of college when I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So, where does Bennigan's rank in the pantheon of fast food places? It's pretty far down there. <laughs> yeah. I read a Consumer Reports one time. It was uh, like the 30 restaurants in that chain like hard rock cafe and planet wow. hollywood and applebee's and tgi fridays um food quality bennigan's ranked above applebee's but below the other 28 on the list <laughs> it was it was ridiculous um Man. yeah no i mean and that was crazy um and then persimmon was much more of a get into a restaurant start cooking um like every day i worked the uh, my station for lunch was meat 
uh, garmanger and pastry. Hmm. So we would do like 60 people lunches with two people on the line. And I was, wow. yeah, putting up everything. It was, it was nuts. Um, but, you know, it, it taught me like the value yeah. of, of cooking things correctly. It taught me the value of keeping clean of, you know, you have that many stations at one time with that many dishes. You have to work very organized. Yeah, for know? sure. Um, Today's music is by Taxstar on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. So then uh, you ended up walking, uh, you became a line cook at uh, Kraft, mm-hmm. which is also complicated. I mean, there's a, it's a very vast menu. Yep. But uh, tell us about, you just worked up the, the hierarchy and then also worked at Colicchio in some sense? Yeah, I, was, uh, I started as a line cook at Kraft after, uh, I think, 10 months at Persimmon. Uh, I decided I wanted to move up to the city. Like you said before, I grabbed the Zagat Guide and just, I didn't know anything about the New York City dining scene. So I thumbed through the Zagat Guide. Uh, Found craft, went on a trail there, went on a trail to a couple other places, and they you just walk in, you walk and say hi. No, I, I, I literally, I just printed my resume out and mailed it to mm-hmm. the addresses on like for forty restaurants, and very few got back to me, but Kraft was luckily one of them. Hmm. Um, and who so, else? Anyone else famous get back to you, and you think no, of what might have been? Uh, who did? Uh, Marcus Samuelson's restaurant Aquavit did. Okay. Um. And uh, Bobo ended up getting back to me a day after I had taken the job at Kraft. Interesting. Um, and who else? I, it wasn't, you know, I forget the name of the other restaurant that I trailed at. But it's, inter- yeah. it's interesting to see, you know, if they had sent the letter a few days earlier, what might have happened. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I really wanted to work at Bobo. Like, that was that was a place that I really wanted to work at. I had read Heat recently, and I thought that, again, not knowing anything about the New York dining scene, like, it just seemed awesome to me. And I love pasta and Italian food and everything. Um but no, I mean, Kraft was, I think that getting the opportunity to work at Kraft really worked out very well. Mm-hmm. Um, Kraft was a progressive menu, right? I mean, yes. I was trying to describe it earlier to one of the people I work with. It, it had it offered you choices, like within categories that previously hadn't offered you choices. Like you could choose four types of mushrooms or four types of braised yeah. vegetables, uh, different types of fish. But it was a vast menu. You could spend a lot, but you also had complete freedom to craft your own meal. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's all, it's all a la carte ordering. Um, it's a... It's a family-style restaurant. Um, the, the ideal is that you guys, everybody orders what they want, and then the food gets to the table and you all share. It's about the community of eating, not so much the it's not a, it's not a tasting menu-only restaurant. It's not little pretty food. I mean, the, mm-hmm. I think the food is elegant and beautiful in its own way, but it's elegant in the way that a, uh, a two-pound steak cut off the bone with mm-hmm. the bone on the plate and a piece of fried rosemary on top can be elegant. Oh, rustico. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it is rustic in a certain way. Um I mean that said the you know the dining room is obviously beautiful, the service is great. Yeah. Um What's that guy 
San, I'm gonna Sanchez, the guy who's been there forever. Santos. Santos. The uh, the other guy that buffs the floors every day. And yeah, cleans yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Santos he introduced is great. himself. I mean, yeah, and then the head captain guy is that. Um, there's a few captains that have been there for people a long time. People have been there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Dale, Cesar. Cesar, um, yeah. Yeah, Cesar's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, there are people, the restaurant opened 13 years ago. There are plenty of people there that have been there since the day they opened the doors. It's, it's You also great. worked at Calicchio and Sun. So what are the differences and commonalities between those two restaurants? I mean, are they similar, basically? Um, they are similar in the sense of where we get our food from. We only use the best purveyors. We use you guys. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the, you know, try to get our produce as much as possible from all the local farms. Um, you know, great seafood day boat guys, um, pretty much exclusively. Um, they, they differ in the sense that, you know, Calicchio and Sons is more tasting menus. It is plated food. It's Mm -hmm. meant to be, it's an opulent New York city restaurant, very high ceilings, crazy lighting. Like it just, you walk in there and you, you almost have your breath taken away as mm-hmm. when you juxtapose that with craft. It's like you walk into craft and craft is homey. Craft is comforting. Craft mm-hmm. has wooden tables. Craft, you know, it's, it's warm colors. Um, you know, Calicchio and Sons is a very, feels like a big deal restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. And, the, the, you know, the other difference is that um, Calicchio and Sons, I think, is about four or five years old now. Mm-hmm. Craft is 13. Craft has reached its maturity and it's sort of, it knows what it is at a restaurant. Um, it's it's a great thing. Calicchio and Sons is, I don't want to say finding its place, but it's you know it's it's always evolving. It's always it's it's improving on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. You know just just you know the nature of being a young restaurant, the nature of not having the established clientele that you know we have at Craft for being around for so long. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean that said, they're both they're both great restaurants. And what's the politics of working with Tom? I mean, you do you you have your own ideas. He has his own ideas. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a concept that existed before you came, sure. so you follow it, but you also bring it into new directions. So, how yeah, does that work? I mean the it's sort of like Tom came up with the blueprint, the the style of the menu, um, how the the concept and the idea of what is behind the food that we put out on a day to day basis. Um, as, but as far as like you know going out and finding the products and calling the purveyors and deciding what exactly is going to be on the menu. That's, that's my responsibility on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, would you win if you were on one of his shows? Do you look <laughs> at that and say, uh, I would totally, I mean, I've always wanted I mean, that. sometimes like I, I, I watch top chef sometimes yeah. I, I watched it a lot before I moved up, moved up to the city and I, I like the show. Um, I think I like to think that I would make it, to like the last five pretty mm-hmm. consistently. But I mean, you know, who knows? I once saw P- Padma, right? Uh, uh, she called our butcher shop at the Essex Street Market and said, I'm going to come pick something up. I'm like, I want to meet her. I'm like, ah, these TV people. Uh-huh. Like, is she really that pretty in person? She pulls up in a car. I was like, wing. Yeah, yeah, my no. eyes like popped out of my head. I know she went out with Alvin Rushdie, but man, she just carried herself like a real star. And I felt like yeah. a million bucks. I was like offering a clean the tires of her car like, i was carrying the turkey i was like it's not secure let me secure it let yeah. me, give me 10 minutes i'm going to build a little security device here so the turkey doesn't roll around <laughs> man but she was very uh cool and i was i was psyched that she buys her heritage turkey from us every thanksgiving no does she yeah yeah no that's awesome yeah she's she's striking in person i've seen her at the market a few times yeah so now how many uh, people do you, are you responsible for i mean i i just did a staff tasting craft i mean between front and back of the house it's 
60 people? Yeah, 60 to 80 people I think we employ. So what's your management style? And I'm going to bring uh, Trig in, Edward Trig Brown, the veg cook, and ask him to follow up. But uh, what is uh, your management style? I mean, how can you be everywhere at the same time? Um, I don't know. What is my management style, Trig? What do you think? Uh, That's an interesting question. Um, I think that... Uh, Does he come and ask you, hey, how's it going? And uh, the vegetables, it's faster if you do it this way. Or, I mean, how do you interact with uh, the, the head guy there? Um, I've worked for Ed for a long time now. And um, there's, you know, I know what my responsibilities are. And Ed delegates, you know, responsibilities um, in a way that I know what's expected of me. So... He sets clear boundaries, and you can carry them out. So it's a good working environment. Yeah, it's not stressful. He's not like uh, lashing you for like you hear in these t- top kitchens. Well, <laughs> now, can you be tough on the team? Yeah, and what are you tough about? I mean, look, the obviously the the goal every day is to put the food out as as well as possible. You know, you don't want anyone at the price point that we're at, at the level that we are. Um, the people that eat there need to have a good time. You know, like they need to go out. It's 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 difficult for people to leave a restaurant having paid a few hundred dollars for dinner. That's all it is. It's dinner. You know, feeling that they've gotten their money's worth. So a, a big part of that is making the food go out. You know, perfectly every single so time. What's wrong? What will break down after 13 years and all this experience? Will something be not be the right temperature? Will the timing be off? I mean, oh what's sure. The I mean, like details? like look the the. The restaurant's been open for 13 years, but the cooks are always changing. I mean, I've, I've been on the job for a little bit less than a year here. Um, I mean, I know the, the company well, um, but people are always changing. Ingredients are always changing, and it's, uh, it's just a constant, I don't want to say battle, but it's a, we're always trying every day to make everything just a little bit better and mm-hmm. to perfect, like, you know, Trigg's ability to cook a vegetable, perfect Sebastian's ability to roast a duck breast and render it out just perfectly, you know, mm-hmm. to make the... Like like getting a, a stripe, not a striped bass, a black bass, the skin crispy on that, one of the mm. most difficult things in cooking, you know, but teaching Travis how to do that day in and day out, it's like, it's an important part of the job, you know? So I think that, uh, you know, I like to set uh, clear boundaries as of what's expected, but I also like, I think that, you know, a lot of kitchens when, and maybe still, um, but when I was coming up, there was a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, a lot of, you know... Uh, bad names thrown at people for you know for burning something or messing something up or coming later whatever the case may be Uh, i really think that happy cooks make better food um it doesn't mean that we're running an amusement park there but uh you know i like these guys to come with a smile on their face every day and to keep the environment as light as possible and then you know when service hits we uh you know we got to hunker down a little bit Mm -hmm. so i mean we're, we're cooking pretty simple food so it has to be perfect every time and um and Ed does a good job of, of you know, letting us know that when when we're we it's <laughs> when easy. you're not <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um, no that's good it's uh, yeah simple there's not much of a margin of error right like the margarita pizza or a simple vegetable yeah, put it, out it, on which is like the best stuff the best stuff there is to eat you know it? what I mean like yeah. the 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 uh, a caprese salad in 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 Naples in August is like the best thing you could possibly eat yes for you sure you know what I mean like. Well, Trick, tell us, what's, uh, what vegetables are you cutting in these days? We are in March. It's been freezing. So uh, what do you, what have you been working on? Uh, we still have some, some winter vegetables on the menu, like braised Tuscan kale and, um, and 
pan fried Jerusalem artichokes, but we're starting to see some cool new spring product come in. Like, um, we have some, uh, we, we did some salsify the other day. We have some endives coming in. Um, yeah, it's a, March is a weird time of year cause it starts yeah. to warm up around here, but like the ground hasn't felt that yet. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it still has a kiss of winter to it. Yeah. Like a kiss of spring. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we'll start to get some vegetables from some small farms in California. We work with Satter farms, which has, a some smaller farms down in Florida, which allows right. us to sort of feel the spring stuff a little bit earlier. But ramps are coming soon. That, ramps. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, I took so Carla uh, Petrini, the founder of Slow Food, on a tour of the U.S., and it was ramp season. So by the time we got down to Maryland, or uh, people were like, ramps. He was like, enough with ramps. Right, right. I'm tired of it. They're like, did we make a mistake? But they uh, they grow ramps and fiddleheads, right? That This is their big season. Yeah, fiddleheads will be a, a little bit down the road, but okay. ramps, ramps are like the first sign of spring. They're so. the most potent or the most they can survive the cold or they're the quickest growing? Uh, they're just sort of like when everything starts to warm up, they just pop up first. I'm not exactly sure why. I'm not a, you know, a forager or a, a farmer, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they, they just sort of start to pop up first. That's how it goes. What's the best season for the veg station? I, I think right now is really, really exciting. It's Especially a challenge. As I, I haven't, I've, uh, you know, I haven't cooked the veg station through the spring season, but uh, I have worked in the company during the spring and cooked a lot of vegetables. Yeah, Calicchio and Sun, so I was a fish entremet in the spring, so I was okay. you know, experienced like the fiddleheads and, uh, you know, when asparagus come in and ramps, uh, you know, similar trends run through the restaurants and, uh, you know, I'm excited to concentrate specifically on these new spring vegetables that are going to come in soon. That's yeah. good. Now it's a challenge. It's a real diverse. I mean, it keeps, uh, keeps changing. That's what's amazing. Um, well, this is very, very interesting. Uh, any other special menu options? I mean, uh, that people should be aware of in the meat section or fish or unusual. I mean, la- I imagine this is the time for lamb. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's the time for lamb. And you're not going to believe this, but Heritage Foods carries a wonderful lamb. Oh, yes. Thank <laughs> yeah. you very much. It's mail order. HeritageFoods.com. HeritageFoodsUSA.com. We will ship you a, a half lamb or ground beef. Or ground lamb, I mean. We're talking all about ground, 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 because it's, uh, we always say the best way to launch the domestic lamb market is to move through whole carcasses for the farmers so that they don't have the added challenge of selling all the guts. So grinding, we pull out the racks, the chops, and the bone-in legs, and we grind the yeah. rest, and we try to you know get people to eat pasta with lamb sauce, lamb ragu. It's the best portion cost. But anyway, you got me into this. This interview is about you, not me. <laughs> but um, now, how many craft restaurants are they? They are thousands. I mean, hundreds, dozens. No, no, no. Fewer. Yeah, um, but you have Dallas. And- no. Da- so Dallas and Atlanta both had crafts in them. Okay. Um, they closed in the past few years. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Um, and there's, cra- there's a craft in L.A. Uh, there's a craft steak in Vegas. Vegas. I've been to that one. Yeah, yeah. That one's... Uh, Pretty big. Yeah, it is. Uh, Tom Colicchio's Heritage Steaks. Um, really focused on grilling meats over there. It's yeah. I haven't been, but it's supposed to be a beautiful restaurant. Four hundred seats or something crazy. It's, it's big. Yeah. Yeah. How many seats is Kraft? Kraft is, I believe, ninety five, between ninety and a hundred, depending upon how you count the bar in there. And then you have so. a private room downstairs, or no? Uh, next door, next we have door. A, a private room two doors down. Okay. Um, it's where we do small parties and events and weddings and you know anniversary dinners and whatever else. Um, Originally, it was craft bars, home, right? Yeah, that back in the day when craft opened, shortly yeah. after they opened craft bar, two doors down. Now craft bars around the corner on Broadway. Yeah, it's a nice place. I've been making deliveries there when I started and all that. I was make the deliveries and still seasonally with the lambs. It's a very nice place to deliver to. Yeah. You go through the two front doors, yeah. always locked. 
during the mornings and all that. But um, it's a very interesting interview. There's obviously a website, craft.com. There's also Witchcraft, right, which yep. is a uh, fast food alternative. Um, it's not. I mean, they follow the same practices that we do as far as like getting the best products in. Um, it, it's their sandwiches, though. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, it's it's a. It's a nice big step up from Subway, you know, well, but, but a quick way to get a lunch. Slow food done fast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, um, Ed Crochet is the chef de cuisine of Craft Restaurant. This is an excellent uh, show. You can uh, download it on iTunes and all these other methods. Uh, we recommend people go. It's an institution, so we're big into pushing people back towards institutions. It's a restaurant that comes to mind all the time, and sometimes people try new things at the expense of you know, returning three or four times a year to old standards that, that built the foundation. So uh, go back to craft. Uh, follow Ed on Instagram, right? I actually just uh, I just opened an Instagram account yesterday. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, you were talking. You were like already berating one of your chefs for not following him. You're like, I Instagrammed <laughs> it. He's like, you've been on for two days, chef. I didn't know. But uh, thank you for being on and uh, come back uh, often. No, thanks. It was a good time. Yeah. Had a great time. So uh, stay tuned for the next show on the schedule, which is Arts and Seizures with Mike and Judy. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.